Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast, where the Polygon community gathers insights from today's leaders into centralized finance, crypto, and Web3. I'm your host, Justin Havens, aka Crypto Texan. Let's get started. On today's installment of Polygon Alpha, we are joined by Nicholas Fett. Nicholas is the CTO of the Tellers or the Teller Oracle protocol. Uh, Teller is an Oracle system where parties can request the value of an off-chain data point and miners compete to add this value to an on-chain data bank. Uh, hey, Nick, how are things going? Things are going great. Yeah, thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, first, we want to get started on your background, Nick. Uh, what is your background? You do have a pretty interesting background. And how did that bring you to the crypto space, specifically Oracle's? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a long winding road, I guess. Um, but the the background, so I, I got into crypto early on. I was I was doing, I know some people know, I was on working with like the Ron Paul campaign. This was back in 2012 and uh, got into Bitcoin and kind of stayed in for a while, started day trading it like most people. Um, and then I actually got a job working at the CFTC, um, like any good libertarian working for the government as, as a regulator here in the U.S. So I was um, I worked on futures markets, derivatives markets uh, as a researcher there. And part of my job there was doing crypto stuff. Um, so I in 2017, I, I left there to do a decentralized derivatives protocol. So I was going to be doing um we were calling it Daxia back then, and basically you needed a, you needed a way to how, how do you make these long short tokens, which is what we were trying to do. So, you know, it, it might sound simple now, but this was like 2017, and you know, so you wanted to be able to bet on like if if you wanted to go short Bitcoin with a token or long long Bitcoin on some sort of leveraged basis. And um, it what we realized in 2017 is that this is a super cool, easy to build sort of system that that a lot of people are doing now. But there was no way to get off-chain data in. So, you know, to our example, if you wanted to bet on the price of Bitcoin, how do you know what the price of Bitcoin is? A smart contract can't just go read an API. Um, so you need some way to do that. And that that's what we call the Oracle problem is how does the blockchain or specifically a smart contract know about some specific off-chain information? Namely, you know, most of the cases are pricing events or, you know, you could you can imagine an event like if you wanted to bet on who won a sports game or something like that, how how does the blockchain or a smart contract know? Well, you need an Oracle to do that. Um, there were no real good protocols around then. And so we decided we would deep dive into the problem. And we thought we came up with a pretty cool solution. And that became Teller. So, yeah, here we, here we are. We launched Teller in 2019. And um, we've just kind of been iterating on it and trying to grab some some usage ever since. Yeah, and you've, you've already touched on some things that I definitely want to dig into a little bit more, like the idea that blockchains can't necessarily pull data into the blockchain. It has to be pushed from an outside party or, or a different party to get that information. And But actually, I think before we talk about that, can you just kind of walk us through the history of oracles and maybe dig in a little bit deeper on the oracle problem and why those oracles are important? Sure. I mean, the history, it, it doesn't go back much farther than that. Um, you know, some people have talked about like oracles on Bitcoin, like on some Reddit posts way back in the day. But usually, you know, people started talking, you know, once you start building these smart contracts, 
you need ways to interact. Um, you want to be able to read an API and have the smart contract release some sort of funds or, or do some action based upon some external event. So the question is always like, how do you get that information? You know, so to our example, of if we're betting on the price of Bitcoin, you and I, we can place some money into a smart contract on Polygon. And the smart contract will say pay out, you know, all the money to you if the Bitcoin price goes up in a week and all the money to me if the Bitcoin price goes down. And and so there there's not really whoever gets to say what that Bitcoin price is at the end of the week basically decides who wins or loses all of the money. And this is the problem. So you can. What are sort of the various oracles that you could do? Well, you could use a centralized oracle. So we could just say, like, OK, me and you. Who's somebody that we trust, you know, like our, our CEO, Brenda, like maybe we both trust her. She can be our Oracle. We'll just may, maybe that works for you. The problem is, is maybe I know her better and maybe she, she'll, you know, swing things a little bit my way. I don't know. Um, the other solution would be, well, OK, well, we don't trust one specific third party. Maybe we could use a multi-sig. Um, so you have two. We, we can each pick three, three or four people and. And then everybody places a price of Bitcoin in. And, and that's that's a little bit better, but this is still, it's sort of corruptible entities. Um, and then there's lastly, you know, like how, how we started thinking about it is like, well, how do you actually make something in a decentralized fashion? Like, what does it actually mean for something to be decentralized? So there isn't this sort of centralized point of failure in the system. And in our minds, the way that we looked at it is, well, A, anybody should be able to participate and there should be some sort of crypto economic sort of security there. So, you know, this is how blockchains work in general. You have, you know, proof of work is pe people spending energy and spending hash power and whoever spends the most of it gets to say what what the right way is. And same with proof of stake. You know, if you if you lie based on some consensus mechanisms, you lose money and how could we build an oracle on that? And this sort of goes into some of the earlier kind of back to your history um, question. You know, some of the early oracle designs were were things like prediction markets, which you could use as as oracle designs. Um, so you can think about uh, like Augur was one of the first oracles as a prediction market. Um, the way that Augur would work is you, somebody would come up with a question. So you could say, um, I don't know, like, let's say, let's say, is Joe Biden president? This is a, a, an easy one. And then we, we could all, you would take your ether, or in their case, it was called rep, and you would place it on yes or no. <laughs> and so you, you if, if Joe Biden is president, you believe it, you would place it on the yes. And then at the end of some period, if you were on the side with the majority of the money, you would basically, that, that would be considered the answer the side with the majority of the money and anybody on the other side would lose all of their money and it would get distributed to the people on the majority side. And that's, that's a very simple Oracle. Of course it's slow and it takes some, <laughs> you know, a lot of human input and, and questions, but it's sort of that basic concept of like, let's just put money on the right answer that people have been iterating on ever since. And it's something that Teller sort of has continued to do. Yeah. It sounds like it's just a way to, determine factual data in a trust minimized way, factual data that's off chain in a trust minimized way. Otherwise you would use the graph for indexing information on the blockchain. But like you said, like the price of Bitcoin 
or the price of Ether in USD, uh, the Ethereum blockchain doesn't necessarily know that answer. It has to be pushed to it. It only knows that, I guess, like you could, you could use USDC or like a, a Uniswap TWAP. And I think that might be good to explain as well. Can you explain exactly what a TWAP is and how it complains to or how it compares to a decentralized Oracle like Teller? Well, so the TWAPs, you, you could also make the argument they're decentralized. Um, a, a TWAP is just a time-weighted average price. So the the TWAPs on, on Uniswap, so this, this was back to the, the question of, like, how do you get a price? So this is basically just for price oracles. Um, you know, like, if you wanted an ETH US dollar price, the easiest way that you would do it is, like, that a Teller or a Chainlink would do is, they would go grab the price from, say, the Coinbase API or CoinMarketCap API, and then they would put it on chain for you. Um, the other way to do it, as you mentioned, is, is Uniswap. So you could look at what's the current price on Uniswap as far as the ETH USDC price, and, and that's a valid price. That was like the Uniswap V1 Oracle. In V2 and V3, they've sort of made it more robust to be TWAP Oracles. So this would be like, what's the current price on Uniswap? Or you would basically now take an average of the last 30 minutes of prices, and that is your price. So what if you look at what's the average price over the last 30 minutes on a Uniswap price, that would be your ETHUS dollar price. And th there's pros and cons to doing it that way. It is decentralized and that sort of open for anyone to participate. Um, but there are reasons that you probably don't want to use that as your oracle. I guess like from a from an asset that has a little bit lower liquidity in a Uniswap pool, there's the chance of manipulation of that TWAP price potentially? Correct. Yeah. I mean, if you have very little liquidity, it's super easy to attack. Um, you know, it's just you can easily, as people know, you, you can easily, if you have enough money, move the price on a Uniswap pool to what it shouldn't be. Um, but even so, I actually, I, I did a... I did a recent podcast with um, another uh, with Torgan, who's who's a researcher in the space, and he was researching Uniswap oracles. And um, the more there's like deeper attacks that you can go to. So there's like simple like just market manipulation tradings, but like the ones that you really have to worry about are like these MEV related ones, to where like a miner will get two blocks in a row, and basically for those two blocks he can like just throw the price to whatever he wants. And then back down to his actual the actual price, and then that that is included now in the average. Um, so if the miner can get those two blocks together, he'll be able to basically throw the Uniswap price to whatever he wants um, in the TWAPs, and it can be very very dangerous. Um, and this is a problem that even still exists in proof of stake. So you know this is um, people are still figuring out how to use Uniswap oracles correctly. Um, well, we actually recommend people doing it if there are people thinking about it. Like the benefit of using a Uniswap Oracle is actually that it's very, very cost efficient. So like you're just reading something that's already on the blockchain. Nobody needs to pay gas to put said information on chain. It's already there. Um, but at the same time, it's easily manipulated. So a lot of times what you can do, and, and we've seen this structure, is you can um, use the Uniswap price and then as long as it's within, say, a percent of the teller price or a percent of some other Oracle's price. And then you know, like, okay, so you have an up-to-date Oracle price within a little range, and then you sort of have the fallback to, okay, well, 
nobody's going to manipulate it really far because it, it's sort of pegged in a way. Yeah, almost like a sanity check. Yep. Um, and just even those those like best practices or something that you know we 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 try and help users do like just <laughs> you know have have other oracles checking things even if you wanted to to have something a little bit faster or, or you know on chain. Absolutely, that makes sense. So let's talk about Teller specifically. Like, how does the Teller validation process work, and how do you align? Because there are a lot of different parties involved in Teller. And like, how do you align the incentives of all these parties to act truthfully? Yeah, well, this is, you know, this is like crypto, crypto economics, like 101. Like, how do you incentivize people to act truthfully and honestly? And to be honest, like you, you basically just assume that everybody is this like neutral actor that cares about money. Um, <laughs> this is, you know, how you sort of map out all maybe maybe it's just life in general. Right. Um <laughs> But th this is sort of how you map it all out. You assume that people just care about money and they don't want to lose money. So if, if you, the, the way that Teller works, just to give a sort of a high level overview, uh, we have what are called reporters. They come and they stake TRB tokens. They will stake, right now it's about $2,000 worth of Teller tokens in a smart contract. And then they're allowed to be reporters. So then if you wanted, say, the Bitcoin price on chain, you would come and you'll say, hey, reporters, I'll pay whoever puts the price of Bitcoin on chain $5. Just, this is just an example. Um, now, all of those reporters are going to race to basically submit said Bitcoin price on chain in order to grab your $5. Um, if that price is now, what happens is everybody can see what price, whoever, whatever reporter. So let's say it was me. I, I placed the price on chain. Everybody can see it. Um, everybody looks at it, and if it's a good price, it just stays on chain. You can use it and read it. If it's a bad price, you or probably one of the other reporters who's monitoring it more closely will dispute it. So they'll pay a small fee and say, hey, this is a wrong price. That price will get pulled off chain. The next reporter, you, your $5 still hasn't come to me yet. So <laughs> the next reporter will place the a, a, hopefully valid price of Bitcoin on chain. And you'll just use that one next. Uh, as far as what happened to me and my bad value, uh, that went over to our governance contract. So that's what happens during a dispute. And we'll have a vote, basically. So the teller system, which comprises of users who get a vote, so the people who paid that $5 tip, uh, the reporters themselves, they get a portion of the vote, and then the token holders, uh, they vote on whether this was a good value or a bad value and whether or not I should lose my $2,000. And that's a simple way of how Teller works. Uh, anybody can participate. Anybody can request data. And um, it, yeah, it's a nice little simple crypto economic system. But I think, as you said, like, how do you incentivize people to to do the right thing? You, you would basically assume that the reporters don't want to lose money. And you assume that you as the user also want good data and don't want to lose money by disputing things that shouldn't be disputed. Well, and it's like they also have the risk. Not only do they have the risk of losing money, but they have the risk of it's like they can lose part of their stake. Correct. The reporters can. And then they also miss out on the financial incentives of pushing that accurate price on chain. So it's kind of like you hit it from both sides. Uh, you you hit their wealth and you hit their re revenue, I guess, at the same time, potentially. It, but I guess, like, where are these reporters getting that price feed from? 
because there there can be a lot of ambiguity um, in those prices, like 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 we're saying with a Bitcoin price, like if they're pulling that data from Coinbase versus Binance or maybe like a, a lower liquid exchange, there's going to be some, I guess, like differences in the prices that could be reported. So how do you determine which one is the accurate or the truthful price in that sense? Well, th this is a super tough question for oracles in general, um, because like th there is no way to know programmatically on chain what a correct price is, just because if you knew what the correct price is, you wouldn't need an oracle, obviously. Um, so there, there sort of has to be some sort of subjectivity in it. And it, you, it actually comes down to how the user defines the question. So whenever you asked for what is the price of Bitcoin, that's a very vague <laughs> question you know like we could agree like you know let's say the price right now is twenty thousand dollars if you put on twenty thousand dollars and fifty cents that's probably just fine nobody's going to dispute you over that um if you put down twenty one thousand dollars maybe there's a little bit maybe it was fine on some exchanges and there is sort of that a little bit of ambiguity. However, what we tell users is if you want more specific data, you have to request it. So, you know, like Ampleforth is one. They're, they're one of our users on, on Ethereum and um, they have a specific, they want a 24-hour TWAP from these specific exchanges and that's how they define the data. So, you know, you know, that they can tell if, if you're off by half a percent, you can tell pretty easily on the data. Um, Whereas, you know, most people, if you just wanted what's the price of Ethereum, it, it may be more open to, um, I guess, subjectivity. But it's also a good thing. So th there, there comes a trade-off in it. Because if you wanted, the more sort of specific you get, actually, you increase, I guess, the ability of your data to be censored. So if you, if you would say, like, what's the price of Bitcoin at? on Coinbase or according to the Coinbase API. The problem with that statement is now the Coinbase API could potentially shut off or they could potentially say, you know, if your report, the Coinbase API cannot be used in teller contracts or something like that. And um, there could be regulatory risks there. Um, and, and you've basically just centralized your entire <laughs> data feed process by relying on this one single entity. Whereas if you say, what's a valid Bitcoin price, although it's more vague, if Coinbase shuts down, I have plenty of other ways to find a valid Bitcoin price. Um, so trade-offs for sure. Yeah. And I guess the one other thing is, so let's say like I, I'm a developer and I need the price of Bitcoin for my app and I want to use the Teller protocol. And so I, I pay these $5, you know, theoretical $5, however much it costs to get that feed. Is it just whoever submits the price first? Is it the reporter that submits first that gets the reward? Yes. Uh, so the, it's as simple as that. Um, a lot of the reporters now have MEV bots going where they're literally front running each other to submit it. Um, so it gets very, very competitive. Um, so the issue comes down in, so you, the way that Teller works is you can stake multiple times for an address. So if, if you have $2,000 staked, you can report once every 12 hours. If, if you have 
$4,000, now you can report twice every 12 hours. And so the more that you have staked, the more that you can report and do this competition. Oh, that's really interesting. So what, what are the main uses for Teller today that you're seeing? I would assume that prices of assets would be number one, and but then you know what other, uh, I guess, unique data feeds are getting sent or requested, I guess, through the Teller protocol. Yeah, so the the biggest one is price feeds. I think that's just oracles in general. Um, the other thing we're starting to see is some cross chain messaging. So um, if you didn't know bridges, so anytime that you talk from you know from Avalanche to Ethereum that's off-chain information on each of those systems. So like they, they don't know, you know, it might as well be the Coinbase API. So those need Oracle. So anytime there's a bridge, that's an Oracle as well. And you're starting to see some people pass message data back and forth. Um, you know, other things besides prices, it's sort of a price. Like we, we saw somebody, la somebody recently is throwing the gas price on chain. Um, so if you want like historical gas prices, you can, you can get that. So you can compensate users for, how much they paid in gas on something. Um, other cool things are uh, so more flexible questions. So we're working with Diva Protocol on Polygon. They're a prediction market over there. Um, so they let you bet on uh, token prices, but then also on any arbitrary event. And, and you can use Teller for that system as well. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think those are some of the fun ones. We're, we're starting to see some um, built some stuff with some privacy things as well. So you can pass zero knowledge proofs of pieces back and forth from chains. So you, you can add in some, some privacy um, in, inside of bridging applications. And, and those are super cool ones. Yeah, I did kind of want to touch on ZK Tech and how that might have a potential future within the Teller protocol. Because I, I think the way that you described it uh, previously is, you know, you've got a reporter that submits this price information on chain but then it can be disputed and then it goes to, I guess, a vote by uh, token holders or other reporters. I'm not really sure about that, but that seems to me like a, uh, an optimistic oracle in a sense. Yeah. But is there, so gosh, I got a lot of questions there actually. Um, first, my first question is going to be like, how does that voting work? Like who gets the vote on, you know, was that a fair and accurate price that the reporter pushed to the blockchain? And so, yeah, who votes on that first? That that'll be my first question. So it's uh, so we actually have the vote right now. So we'll use Polygon because that's, that's the Polygon podcast. Um, <laughs> so the, the way it currently works on Polygon is is you have twenty five percent goes to the token holders, so Teller token holders on Polygon. Uh, then twenty five percent goes to the users. So every time. So you tipped $5, you have $5 worth of vote power. If somebody else has tipped $100, they have $100 worth of vote power. So it goes towards the users. Um, just sort of pro rata based on how much they tip. And then it's the reporters. So every time somebody reports on Polygon, they get an extra sort of vote weight um, in the system. And then the last piece that we still have over on Polygon is the team gets part of the vote. So uh, the Teller team just is balancing it out over there. That makes sense. And so, okay, kind of what we're talking about, like optimistic versus ZK. Yeah, this does seem like a more of an optimistic design because I guess it feels like you've got to prove that the price was fraudulent. And then on the ZK side, and this is something that I've talked with, uh, talked about with people in the space, like if you have optimistic oracles, can you also have zero knowledge oracles? And I think you deal with the issue of like validity proofs. And I'm, I'm not, I just don't really understand like, how, who are you validating that information 
two. I guess if that makes sense at all. Like, is there room in the space for zk oracles, or does that even make sense with this type of technology? It, it depends on what you're actually doing. Um, you know, because that's it makes it really hard for. So, what are you signing? As far as like, what, what's the specific piece of information that you're proving actually happened? So, you know, because like, you could, if, if you people have talked about like, you you could probably do API requests that way. So you you could have like you know something to do with like um, you you can prove that this specific value came out of an API, like like we can, we can do that and and then so like you could put that on chain and then you know with a hundred percent proof that like that value came from that API at this time and that would be really cool and helpful to put on. The problem is that doesn't necessarily mean that's a valid Bitcoin price because um, we know APIs spit out weird things. So is it a good, may, maybe it could work in conjunction with a lot of other pieces, uh, but it basically just pushes the trust. It could push the trust to say the API provider, which maybe you want to do. There would be pros and cons to doing that. Yeah, and I also want to talk about, and you mentioned this earlier, how oracles are being used more and more for bridge security. And it, it kind of reminds me of kind of the example that you said earlier in the sense that, you know, you and I are using Brenda as our oracle to determine the price of Bitcoin. Um, it, that reminds me a little bit of what happened with Wormhole, right? Like the Wormhole bridge that got hacked was like, it was very centralized, but well, and not that the reason that the wormhole uh, bridge went down or was exploited had anything to do with centralization. It was just a bug in the contract. But it, it was a very it is a very centralized team, and that has risk. But there are ways to do, I guess, optimistic oracles with with bridges, which is becoming a trend. Uh, so how how can Teller help with the security of bridges? It's actually a shame, almost in the space, like. All these bridge hacks, and very few of them actually have to do with the fact that they're all just completely centralized. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all just normal smart contract hacks. And it's like, no, like, we actually just need some, some decentralization in here, too. Um, but, yeah, like, the the way that Teller could help with bridges is right, right now most bridges run via just multi-sigs. There are a handful of people who are controlling hundreds of millions of dollars bridged across these protocols. And um, it's just not, you know, it's it's not safe in the sense that these few people could run away with a whole lot of money. Um, and it's just not safe even if they're not going to run it just from a hacking perspective. Uh, the way that Teller could sort of help with this is if, if you want to pass information from chain to chain, um, you could just use Teller. So Teller on each side and could move information back and forth. Or you could... As you, you could even use a farther optimistic approach to where you could use a multi-sig to move information, but then you could you have an option for if anything goes bad, you pause the system and fall back and now teller is your bridge. So teller has to push the stuff back back and forth. And and that could it would slow it down, but at the same time you wouldn't have some of these issues that, that we've sort of talked about if if these keys are compromised. Um so, so a lot of different things you could do. I, th I think one of the big problems with bridges right now is um, similar to how we were talking like with Teller, you, you can't use the data instantly with Teller. So once I put it on chain, you have to wait for people to check whether or not it's valid and if people want to dispute it. 
So we tell people to wait, you know, 10, 20 minutes, you know, run a script to check it themselves, depending on what it is or how hard it is to check. Um, but with bridges, a lot of people want it really, really fast. You know, they want to click deposit and then click withdraw on the bridge five seconds later. And it, it's really a problem because like things don't move that fast. Like it, it's just a bad idea. You know, we, this was actually work people talking about wormhole. Um, you know, Vitalik had even written about it on Twitter about how wormhole was subject to an attack because it was such a fast bridge that it could have been profitable to lock a bunch of money on Solana, trade it around and then revert the whole EVM chain <laughs> and to make, to make it look like that no money ever got sent over to that bridge because they were moving such volumes and that attack could have happened and it didn't happen because they got hacked another way. But, you know, like just moving really, really quickly on these bridges, like they don't even take into account that like the chain isn't even finalized by the time you're unlocking it on some secondary chain. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, but, you know, in relation to Teller, what keeps you up at night with Teller? Like if someone really wanted to break the protocol, like what what could they do? Hypothetically. We're sort of easy to censor as far as like if you just disputed every value that came through Teller, um, you'd blow like a few hundred thousand dollars every hour. I think I think you, I think we calculated out like you'd blow like seven hundred and fifty grand at the current price, like every hour just to, to keep like if you wanted to prevent somebody from updating the ETH price, you could do it for like seven hundred and fifty grand in an hour. Um that wouldn't be a worst case scenario. You know, like I guess we know that people can do that and it's just like you got to calculate that in. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the, some of the bigger pieces is, you know, it, it's still, it's still relatively early as far as even for any protocol, you know, like we're like, we don't have, you're still subject in a lot of ways to the forces of the market. Um, you know, like we have a token price and, how much of the token price is determined by what we actually do and how the protocol works versus just sort of forces of the market is that that's always scary. Um, you know, like we, cause you, you can see like all of your, all of the value in your system sort of go away based on FUD or, you know, regulatory rumors and things like that. And it, it's just sort of a fear in the space in general. Um, you know, like a lot of this stuff, it's, yeah, I mean, probably regulatory issues as far as that goes. You know, like the the tornado cash thing that came out. Whenever you talk, um, you know, if, if they if I'm in the U.S., I'm assuming you're in the U.S. as well. You know, like if they came out and were like, oh, you know, like crypto is now illegal or like Canada did, you can't you can't withdraw more than ten thousand dollars in a given month from, out of crypto. You know, like it would just kill the space in general. Um, and that's like what I really hope they don't do. <laughs> So I guess that's not really teller specific, but <laughs> yeah. Are there any regulatory concerns uh, that are teller or just Oracle specific in general that you can think of? Some of the bigger ones have to do with like, it, it more depends not for us, but for the protocols. So um, Polymarket had a really interesting one. Polymarket's a, a prediction market. Um, I think I think like, like their name would imply they're on Polygon as well. Um, and they they had an issue where um, they got charged by the CFTC for being a 
unregistered prediction market, which they um, are a prediction market and they're unregistered, so it's sort of fit. Um, but at the same time, in, in the sort of action against them in the settlement, they one of the reasons was that they were resolving their own markets. So they, they were their own oracle, um, which the CFTC took as that's a sign that you're centralized and need to come in and register. Um, so that's what we would, you know, you, you could make the jump then. Okay. Well, so if, if the regulators don't like, if you're settling your own markets, then you're obviously centralized and need to go register. Um, well, what happens if you take that Oracle piece of resolving markets and give it to, you know, our example, Brenda, does Brenda now have to go register as <laughs> said prediction market since she controls which way the money goes? The answer is we don't know. Uh, it's completely unclear. But what we do know is that if you're using Teller, at least Teller is a decentralized protocol and, you know, we can't shut it down even if we wanted to. So at least you're safe there. Whereas if you used, say, you know, a more centralized Oracle and the CFTC to force them to go register, they'd probably just stop reporting prices to your app, um, which would not be good. Yeah. And I think there's, there's been an interesting conversation going around the space related to Oracles also that has to do with leveraging Oracle technology to combat disinformation, not necessarily just in the crypto space, but just in general. I know like Trueflation uh, has been a proposed solution to, you know, actually tracking the, the true price of inflation and not necessarily just what's reported. Um, what are your thoughts on leveraging the Oracle tech to do that, to combat that some sorts of disinformation? Yeah, you definitely can. Um, but the, the, it's more of like a data science problem. So this was actually um, so like I, my co-founder and I, Brenda, um, we actually met, we were working at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. <laughs> um, so I, I, we were, she, she used to work on the inflation numbers and then I, we, we met working on the employment numbers. So like, you know, the, the U S unemployment and, um, it was, uh, so we, we know all about that disinformation, but, um, the, the general idea, it, it's really hard problems when it comes to it, uh, specifically because, you know, when you look at like trueflation or, or any of these numbers, um, you can push that stuff on chain, but a, a lot of the hard problem comes into like, how do you source all of that data? Um, you know, like it, it turns into more of like a, we need blockchains to scale sort of problem. And then oracles can work a little bit better because right now, you know, like the, the U S government, whenever they do like the inflation survey, you know, there's like, they, they have people all over the U S going around and marking down various prices at various grocery stores and, going on different websites and things like that. And it's a very labor intensive survey. Um, so how do you incentivize people to do something that labor intensive? Um, it gets really, really difficult. So, um, yeah. And even just, you know, like we had talked whenever you look at like the trueflation numbers, a lot of times, like there's all of these prices that you sort of want to calculate out the, the total inflation number. And, the problem is, is like it's it's still expensive to push things to chain. <laughs> like, if you got to pay a quarter even each time, it's it, it adds up really really quickly. So how often do you want to do that? Yeah, that was another question I had, uh, just related to some of the challenges of being a fast oracle, and just kind of thinking of the scalability trilemma in general and how that applies to oracles as well. Like, do you have apps that are requesting 
data like on a block by block basis? Because I think that would just th- oh you do. I just feel like that would be way too expensive, no matter what the the DAP would be. Well, I guess if it's on a, a lower cost change like like Polygon, maybe it is a little bit more cost effective. But yeah, just just want to get your thoughts. Yeah, so like we get this question a lot, like hey, how you know we're trying to do a perp contract or something like that, and then we need we need the the price of these coins updated every second, and you're like, listen, guys, <laughs> like you just can't do that, like. A, there, there's, you know, you just get noise a lot of times, you know, like prices, crypto prices move back and forth all the time. Um, but like the, the problem is these blockchains barely move that fast and, it, and it's just expensive. So whenever you run the numbers, like, you know, Teller's one of the cheaper oracles to actually post data and store it. But if you want to store like a price on chain, it's, it's going to cost you 200 gas on an EVM chain. So like, what does that come out with? Like, well, right now on mainnet, it's, you know, $10 to go store it. Like that's, that's really expensive on mainnet. So if you want to store one price and it's $10, like, man, this is how many times do you need to update this? I guess how many times do you really want this price updated? If it's going to cost you every $10 every time. And you tell people that, and you know, they, they, they run the math and they're like, Oh man, if I wanted this every single even even every like 10 seconds or something like that, it's going to cost me, you know, $100,000 a month or something like that. And they're like, all right, well, we'll come up with a new solution. And, um, and a lot of times that's whenever protocols build it that way, that that's whenever they end up relying on, say, like a Uniswap or something that theoretically has an up to date block update, um, block by block update at the price. It's just easily manipulated and they, they get they have problems that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's difficult. Like, I could see like something from a, a stablecoin standpoint that is pegged to the U.S. dollar. Like, do you necessarily need a block by block price update related to that? I, I would say probably not. Um, but then, like other more volatile assets like uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, I can see, especially like from a a perp situation, it needs to be more definitely more frequent than I don't know every ten blocks or something like that. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it just comes down to what we're trying to build on these systems. You know, what, what was Teller trying to be an Oracle? You know, we, we wanted to be an Oracle that was was built for protocols that actually want to be decentralized and be secure. You know, you we're, we're not trying to compete at if you want to be an Oracle on a thousand X perp contract like that's it's a different problem. You could say than than being an Oracle. How do you get information on chain? in a trustless fashion. And, and that, and that's really what we're trying to do. Um, we're trying to be there for people who they're trying to build honest, real, real use cases on top of these systems that, and they need something that cannot be censored. Um, they actually care about the fact that nobody can shut this thing down. And that's why you would use Teller. Yeah, that makes sense. And so where are you seeing a lot of demand? Um, like, are you, I guess like specifically to Polygon, are you seeing a lot of demand to use for dApps to use Teller on Polygon? I know you talked about Diva protocol and we talked about Ricochet earlier before this. Like, it, what's Ricochet using the protocol for? Ricochet is a dollar cost averaging protocol. So they use Superfluid over there. I think you guys have talked. Um, but they're super cool. So they allow you to um, dollar cost average into some various tokens. And in order to do that, they need to know what the price of some of these tokens are in U.S. dollar terms. So they'll use Teller to, to grab those prices. And it's super cool. 
But are, are you seeing more demand just outside of those two? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Polygon's awesome. So like we have this, um, we have a really unique insight into like what chains people are using because uh, anytime somebody's building on one of these chains, a lot of these protocols need oracles so that they reach out to us and they're like, hey, are you going on this chain? And, and you, you know, we saw... Polygon was one of the first people that you actually started seeing a lot of volume on as far as a different chain, probably around last year. Um, whereas, you know, like for, for every like, you know, we'll, we'll get a request or two on Arbitrum or an Optimism, but you see like 10 over on Polygon <laughs> and it's just they're like loads away as far as what people are actually using. Um, and and that's really awesome. And, and the thing that people usually want, so um uh, they usually like Teller for more custom data. So Chainlink pushes prices currently on Polygon. And if you need one of those prices, uh, you can probably use Chainlink because it's free for you <laughs> to just read the, some of those prices on Chainlink, which makes it a really tough business from from business standpoint for us as far as charging people for it. But um, Chainlink posts those for free. Um, but a lot of times what happens is, is people will want more custom data. So another user we're working with is, uh, so if you know OVIX protocol, um, we're calculating out a toxicity number for them. So they're looking at um, not something that's just, they use Chainlink for the prices, but then they needed this more custom thing as far as, okay, well, how, how risky or highly leveraged are some of these loans or some of these assets that we're putting into our protocol? And so they... They talk, came and talked to us about, okay, well, can you guys calculate out this, they call it a toxicity number as far as what's what's dangerous about it. And that's Daniela over there. But, um, you know, so we, we've seen some of those and same with a lot of protocols. If right now, if, if you want a new chain link data feed, so if you want a price feed up on Polygon for a chain link price feed, the way, the way that you do that is you, you have to go contact chain link and talk to them off chain and sign something. And sometimes it takes weeks or months for them to, to get it up. And a lot of times if you're a very small protocol and don't have money to pay them, they, they won't push your price feed. Um, whereas Teller, we, we don't care. <laughs> uh, our reporters are pretty much gluttons for the $5 tip. So if, if you can, if, if you're willing to, to pay a little bit of probably, it's more like a quarter tip over on polygon um you basically just have to cover their gas costs um if you're willing to to pay for it and we know how to get the data um we'll put it on chain and it, it, we can you know if it's a new spot price or something you can be up and running later today with a new spot price which which makes it a much more attractive option than having to contact somebody and wait for quite a while to get it up and running i actually just had the ovix guys on the podcast uh gary and daniela so that'll probably be published a week before this one gets published or a few days before this one gets There's published. They're smart guys. They're good. They're very smart. They're very sharp. Um, excited to w for what they're building and glad to hear that y'all are partnering with them on that. We don't use the Yeah, P I was about to say, even call it a partnership because they can just, just open source permissionless. They can just request data. Well, and they're not using us yet. Um, this is something, I, I don't know when they will. Uh, it, it was just... Um, 
that's all that that's probably different you know we <laughs> we shy away from the partnership term word just because everybody in the space throws it around so willy-nilly like we, we want people actually integrating us in the code and uh <laughs> that's what hopefully people can see in the long run go go look at the code that makes sense um so a couple other things i know we talked about price speeds bridges prediction markets there were two other uh subjects i wanted to touch on related to Teller and, and Oracles. And that's cross-chain automated market makers, which is, I, I guess you could also just kind of throw that in the bridge category, but it, it is a little bit different. And then I also want to touch on insurance because I know that I, I feel I personally feel like that's something that's very much needed in the DeFi space is a little bit more robust insurance um, ecosystem uh, for, for this DeFi you know, experience to really thrive, but you do run into the Oracle problem uh, related to insurance protocols. So I don't know if you, if you could just touch on those two real quick. Yeah. So cross-chain AMMs are a great case for, for Teller specifically. And I mean, even any, any sort of Oracle protocol that, that the hard part about doing a cross-chain AMM is just messaging back and forth. You know, like if you can think about like the hard part about like why why can't you have a smart contract that ha- works on both chains? And it's like, well, the messaging back and forth is the hard part. Um, so anytime it's it's these cross chain AMMs, it it has to do with well, how do you sort of get messages back and forth and do that? And um, yeah, so I I think Teller definitely does. I, I think what a lot of people have to do is. Um, slow down some of what they're trying to build, you know, similar to like bridges in general, when you're doing cross-chain AMMs, anytime you're doing cross-chain anything, there, there's not finality on these chains. So it's it's going to be slower than if you're doing it on Uniswap. It just, it's the way it has to work. Um, so we'll see if they eventually take off. Uh, I think it's definitely the future. Like I think, you know, in five years, like, you know, five years ago from now, like we, what were we rolling with? Like Ether Delta was the the king of decentralized exchanges back then. It was, you know, it was very very early, and you you have to. We've come a very long way to now. It's basically the biggest tradfi players are trading on dexes every day. Um, and I think in five years time, you're going to look at this and you're going to see, okay, like derivatives markets are just cross chain. Like all these exchanges, they're just cross chain. They use oracles. And it's actually decentralized too, so it's not, you know, like sim- similar to like pe- we had fast chains back in 2017, but they were like you know the EOSs of the world and things like that that were just natively like super centralized. But now like in 2022, like no, we actually have fast chains that are decentralized. We can do that now. The technology's gotten there, and I think in five more years, you know, people are going to realize how to actually use oracles properly, and it's, you're going to have decentralized communication across these chains and trading is, is it's just going to be seamless it'll be awesome um as far as insurance goes we're working with um we're talking with a few insurance protocols but the big problem with decentralized insurance is, is the hard part is that decentralized word namely because um who's allowed to participate in buying the insurance is is always tough because if you know, the question is always, how do you know what's insurance fraud? How do you handle insurance fraud? So if you have an insurance on some DeFi protocol, well, what prevents the maker of said protocol from buying insurance on it or something like that? And and does it does it cause any issues? Maybe. Um, 
the other part with, you know, more specific insurance, you know, like people have always used like in the Ethereum world, like you can build flight insurance um, <laughs> or like train insurance or something like that. And um, the problem with those are that a lot of times it's very specific, nuanced events. So like, how do you know how many people actually know what happened? So like, did a flight get delayed? Sometimes there's an API, sometimes there's not an API. Sometimes it's very hard to find information on that. So who can actually accurately vote on the dispute? It can be very difficult to to have this sort of information really public. And in order for like Teller to work to its maximum extent, like you want everybody to know this is a bad price. We can all vote that it was a bad price. If you can't do that and it's like, well, did this happen? Well, I don't know. John was the only guy there. <laughs> Probably doesn't really, you know, make for an effective voting system. And we, everybody would just be like, I guess, trust John. <laughs> yeah, that goes back to our Brenda example, where you yep. just have one person as our, I guess, oracle of truth. Right. Yeah. And most things in the real world, like a lot of things in the real world are bad things to actually put on chain because there's so few people that actually can know or verify that information. I also had a question about just the term teller. Um, what's the, do you, is there a story behind the name or does it have any significance from a branding perspective? Oh, I mean, there was a little bit, um, a little bit of like the fortune teller aspect. Um, and then OR is for the Oracle. Um, but it was, we, we had originally made this to teller was a, a repo under our last firm was Daxia, which, you know, we, we did like Daxia was, Axia is value in Greek and decentralized value. And we had all this meaning behind the name. And then we launched Teller without thinking about it too much. <laughs> and that became the main brand, which was good. I think it's a good meme. Yeah. Teller, like a teller, like a fortune teller. And then the OR for Oracle. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. Um, I guess like an, another question I had was just what are some of the, and, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but like what are some of the challenges that you feel like Oracles are facing today or what are some of the challenges that I guess that y'all have gone through throughout the time that y'all have been deployed to now? I mean, th there's a lot of challenges as far as, you know, so we're a system that has voting in the protocol. I'm sure as you know, getting anyone to vote or, or really sort of partake in, in governance has been very, very difficult. Um, this isn't a problem that's unique to teller in any way, shape or form. Um, just, just finding people who care about it and, and are doing so in, in a good manner. That's not sort of self-serving or trying to just pump their own bags. Y you really want, you know, like I, I want the best for Teller and, and so do a lot of people out there. But, but you find a lot of times it, it can be relatively short-sighted, especially, you know, we're a protocol with a token. Um, so having a token just... Uh, navigating some of those aspects of a lot of times people care more about your token than your actual project. And and that can be fun, um, but it can be stressful in certain ways. You know, like you end up wasting a lot of time on dealing with people who just care about the token rather than, you know, the cool protocol that you've made, which is sort of should be the goal. That's a bull market mentality. This is the bear market. Everyone just cares about the projects now, right? Hopefully. Well, I mean, like we had the, we, we had some fun last week, like our price halved for no reason. And then, and then you started getting, you started getting uh, some messages from people. They're like, I heard the news. Are you guys okay? And there were apparently rumors going around that the founder or Brenda went to prison. 
and that that she rugged everyone and, and we were like no no like what's we, we don't know um we we're like this is new for us so we had to you know dispel rumors that we were in jail it was <laughs> that's funny and you make such a good point too about just token voting in general and how it's definitely not the best way to get things like this done, but it's just the best way that we have right now. Like, can you like speculate or think about any other alternative solutions outside of token voting? Well, I mean, that's like, we've tried to, you know, we, we have the users, we have the reporters, we have, you know, people have done delegates and things like that. And you, you want people to care about it. You do. Um, and I don't, and I think the more you can just minimize that in a lot of ways, like it's okay to have user input because the same would sort of come into, you know, like you're starting to see this, this in some ways, like with Ethereum, you know, people have been talking about, like, I'm sure you followed like the whole Lido discussion. Like, should we, you know, like if Lido holds 90% of stake teeth or something like that, or Coinbase and Lido do, and then they want to start censoring transactions to Tornado Cash, what should we do? That's like, oh, God, you know, like this is bad. Well, the actual answer is, is like we all know it's like you do like a, a soft fork and you you, like, you you take them all out of the chain. Like, sorry, for thanks for playing. Go away. And um, and it's one of those things where you start to realize that at some level, like blockchains in general, like we all know it, that it is this consensus mechanism and there is this social layer to it. And oracles are sort of the, the same aspect. So there is this sort of social layer to oracles and what is a right answer and what is a wrong answer. So just due to the fact that de definitionally it's a social layer, you need people actually interacting and caring about it. It's not just a piece of software that you can interact with. So, you you, you know, it's almost good every once in a while to have these reminders to people like, you actually have to care and inter and interact with this thing. Like it's it's not just this mindless piece of software. Like you actually matter as a person and as a voice in the system. So trying to make sure that that, that doesn't get lost over the years is going to be. I think that's going to be one of our biggest challenges. I couldn't agree more. I, I think you made a lot of really good points there, but we're kind of running up on time, so we can't don't really have a lot of time to dig <laughs> into them necessarily. <laughs> um, which is too bad. Maybe at another time. But yeah, I guess uh, just so I don't hold you for too long. Uh, are there any topics that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to address necessarily? No, not really. I, I think, um, yeah, it was super fun. I, I, I think, you know, like the one thing that we're working on right now with Teller, um, you know, we're, we're making another big upgrade here over the next month. So we're throwing away in, in the past, you know, I know you had talked about like things that we've learned over the years and in the past, we, we did have like ways to, to upgrade the protocol via. So we had we have a DAO for voting on these things, and we're formally getting rid of the DAO. <laughs> um, we're the only thing that Teller the only voting on anything will be is for for those disputes, and it'll be sort of specific by chain. Um, and, and the reason for that is you know like we we've tried to how can we be as decentralized as possible and knowing that DAO structures are really hard to work and that they're, they actually just introduce risks. Um, the way that we ultimately want it to work is, you know, you have a polygon system and if 
if the polygon system breaks, the, the mainnet users actually don't care. And if if the mainnet users system breaks, like the polygon users are are okay. And same with like e- even more down to a granular level. If if you're if you want the ETH price on Polygon and somebody else wants the Bitcoin price on Polygon, everybody's incentivized to help each other. But if somebody breaks the ETH price, it doesn't break your Bitcoin price. It still works. And and the reason is is you know like with oracles. That there's nothing sort of preventing somebody from saying like, like you, you and I, like on the Bitcoin price contract, like we could easily start a contract that says like, let's place $10 billion into this pool, this betting pool that settles on the Teller Oracle price. Well, like I'll be the first to say that if you put $10,000 into a pool settling on a Teller Oracle price, like somebody will break our protocol for that $10 billion. <laughs> like we are not secure up to that amount. And there's nothing that we as a protocol could do to prevent somebody from making that contract. Um, the only thing that we can do is make sure that if somebody makes that really dangerous contract, it doesn't sort of trash the whole system. It just breaks this one specific vote. Somebody can run away with those $10 billion and then leave our system alone. Um, so we're trying to think about that, you know, like if somebody is going to attack it, how do you sort of minimize these risk damages and make it as hard to attack, obviously, at the same time? Yeah, that that leads to another really good point is that like the more decentralized you are as a protocol the more difficult it is to scale. And that just goes back to the scalability tri-limit too. I think like Liquidy uh, with their LUSD token, it runs into similar issues, right? And it's just, it's something that we can figure out over time, I think. And that's just the thing is that it's it's going to take time and adoption, I think as well. Um, but yeah, Nick, this was this was really fun. And before we head out, I just want you to let the audience know, you know, where can they go to find out more about you and Teller? So I'm in the big place, uh, teller.io. It's our website. Um, come join us on Discord. It's where we hang out. You can follow us on Twitter. We are Teller or I'm uh, the Mandalore 9 on Twitter. So you can come follow me. Spicy crypto economic tweets. It's fun. Exciting. <laughs> Um, yeah, and to everyone who is listening and watching, thank you for listening and watching. Uh, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Substack, subscribe. Please subscribe so you can get more Polygon Alpha in your day. Nick, thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, see you.